Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome to The Black Athlete. This is Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. This is Derek White. I'm the author of Challenge of Blackness and the forthcoming Blood, Sweat, and Tears about Florida A&M and black college football. Good evening. Oh, Derek, good evening, Derek, man. It's good, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. We've been, for those of you guys who are obviously probably first-time listeners, Derek and I have been trying this for quite some time, so this is going to be Podcast 1B. 1B. We're going to try it and get it right in 2019. Yes, yes, yes. We tried a few in 2018. They worked out well, and we will be sure to drop them. They're just not as timely as, as this one. But what we're going to do here at The Black Athlete is really talk specifically about Black athletes and put the historical context into the conversation. Yeah, that's what we, you know, that's that's what makes this podcast slightly different from the uh, dozens of other podcasts is that we're going to focus fo- solely on black athletes, black sports on the black sporting world. But we're also going to give it a different twist, which is our expertise of historical analysis and putting it in context and, and conversation with the past. And, and before we get started today, uh. I don't know if you guys heard that Derek just dropped that he's got a forthcoming book. Uh, so, Derek, do you want to tell us about this book? Yeah, man, I'd love to tell you about this book. Blood, Sweat, and Tears, uh, Jake Gaither, Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football is going to come out later on this summer. Uh, it is really the first critical examination of uh, black college football uh, in the 20th century. There have been some some really good pieces, um, smaller segments looking at uh, black college football, for instance, in the 1920s. Um, uh, Friedman has a, Samuel Friedman has a great book uh, that looks at Florida A&M and Grambling looking at 1967 and broadly the 1960s. Um, but this is going to be the first kind of comprehensive analysis of black college football that really looks at its origins in the 1890s all the way through uh, the 1970s and 1980s um, through and because Jay Gaither dies in 1994. And so we use that as a kind of barometer of telling this broad story of black college football in the 20th century. So I'm going to put you on the spot. So Go ahead. Who, who was Jake Gaither's best quarterback? Oh, his best quarterback. That's a good question. Gaither's not really known for having great, great quarterbacks. I would say Ken Riley is probably the most famous of his quarterbacks. Uh, Ken Riley played in 67 and 68, uh, who went on to be a 15-year pro for the Cincinnati Bengals as a safety. Um, You know, Jake Gaither's best players in his time have been uh, offensive linemen, uh, and running backs. And that's really what he's been known for is he put Willie Gallimore, Bob Hayes, who uh, most know are in the pro, pro Football Hall of Fame as a wide receiver, played running back uh, and slot at uh, Florida A&M in the early 1960s. And so Gaither was an offensive, really genius. Uh, and But in those days, he ran the T formation. They ran the ball probably 90% of the time. Uh, I, I think off the top of my head, I don't think he had a passer anyone throw only one of his quarterbacks threw for 1500 yards in a season so that gives you a sense that he's not really a um his quarterbacks did not throw the football at any stretch 
Okay, but 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 they won the game, so that's all that counts. Um, yes, they won I, a I, lot. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of quarterbacks, we have a black quarterback um, in the public again, and 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 that is Cap. Um, so what we want to do today is, is just give our our take of what's been going on with Cap. Um, as you know, that Cap reached a settlement. We don't know the the exact details um, because that settlement is supposed to be kind of hush hush. Um, I've heard upwards of of eighty million dollars to to cap. Um, and again, this is for his collusion case. Have you heard any any specific numbers? No, I mean, I think that the the lawyers who specialize in this kind of uh, these kinds of cases suggest that he's getting anywhere, probably on the low end, uh, settled for thirty billion, and on the high end, I heard eighty billion, and maybe even more than that. Once you do lawyers' fees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, it, it, in many ways, the, the fact that the NFL settled showed that, uh, cap and Eric Reed had the league at least embarrassed enough to not want any of his information to come to the leak to the public. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I can't imagine what that information would be, right? Like, so when all this started, um, I think back, so it starts in 2016, but when it's clear that he's not going to play again at, you know, free agency 2017, what I was saying was this is like a gentleman's agreement, what's going on here, right? Mm -hmm. Others were using collusion. I was using gentleman's agreement. And when I said that term, I was really referring to the past, right? Back Mm -hmm. in the day with, with Major League Baseball, they never had anything on the books that said black players couldn't play the game. They just had an agreement amongst the owners that they weren't going to sign any black players, right? So whenever right. you had a quality black player, a Josh Gibson or Mule Shuttles or Oscar Charleston or Cool Papa Bell, it would just be like, well, maybe he's not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but once they got the opportunity, obviously you saw that 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 was BS. Um, so, sorry for my language. And it's the same thing with Cap. And you and one of the things you did heard was that same line right mm-hmm. uh, he's just not good enough um and then we quickly realized that that line about him not being good enough was false because of who they signed oh my goodness the number of this this fall the number of terrible quarterbacks um who through performance and past performance who got another opportunity to be a backup and even start NFL games um, pointed to a series of problems, uh, really a series of problems for the NFL, right? That, for instance, when Nathan Peterman, who was absolutely terrible for the Buffalo Bills, gets cut midseason and he subsequently gets picked up by the Raiders, that's a red flag um, from anybody looking at it. It's like, look, we've seen this guy be as bad as he's been. Like, you kind of tell me that Cap doesn't even deserve a chance to see if he's better than this guy. And I think that's part of the, that's what the, you know, people who are watching this are clearly observing um, a string of bad quarterback play at the bottom of the league uh, that signals that cap even definitely deserves a chance. If Mark Sanchez deserves another chance. Right. Right. And I honestly thought like it was getting so ridiculous. I I honestly thought that, that Willie Beeman, or or Keanu Reeves, <laughs> or even dude from even dude from Wildcats. Uh, um, do you remember that movie when there yes. was a, a 1980s classic? I, I was that. Well, maybe they'll get their shot too because it, it was a joke. 
And at that point, you could see that there was clearly something going on, right? Like mm-hmm. me back in, in March 2017, like saying, oh, this gentleman's agreement, he'll never play again, was just me speculating. But by the time you start seeing people in 2017, 2018 being signed, who you clearly know, you know, you know, aren't as good as Cap, right? Even if Cap mm-hmm. had some down years, you knew that there was something going on. So clearly they wanted to hide whatever emails or just like i think that when you're a billionaire at a certain point you don't even have to write like emails but i'm sure they did because they got sloppy but they i think every owner just (laughs) knew that this they weren't going to do this right they all think alike and so they just knew that there's no way they're going to sign this guy well, yeah. And it's also the fact that they, you know, it's not just that the emails, but, you know, the text message. Um, I, I saw somewhere across Twitter that they were like, no one wants to give up their phone. Right. Because that's, you know, in the opening, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, legal proceedings in which uh, the NFL tried to have the case thrown out. Uh, Jerry Jones admitted on the record that he had talked to Donald Trump and that Donald Trump said that this, that this kneeling issue is a good political issue for me and that he admitted that the other NFL owners are worried about um, the way that the president would spin Kaepernick um, and make this a big political and public spectacle. And so in some levels, they're making a decision, not a football decision, but a political decision. Uh, and I think that that's that that gives us a little window into the kinds of information. I can only imagine that the the emails, the text messages were considerably worse than what uh, Jerry Jones stated on the record. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I won't speculate what they said, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. And that's the that's the other thing that got me. Like, there's always been not always, but there's been some major moments in, in sport history where a black athlete, you know, has spoken out and and you know has caught a lot of backlash but you never got the sense that a president was going to use this for his own political gain mm-hmm. um like i i assume you know the john carlos tommy smith thing happened what a couple weeks uh before the election so it happens october 16th the, the election's early november I just don't think that's enough time for either nixon or humphrey to get their you know hands around like what's going on here um, exactly. And, and Wallace, you know, Wallace is, is out by that time and he's not out, but you know, he's just, everyone just knows he's a racist and, and pretty much has no chance. Yeah. Um, exactly. So there's nothing like I've gone over tons of newspapers and I hadn't seen any, um, anybody make that reference. Now I've seen mm. like casual references to, oh, this is crazy cartoon in, in the St. Louis Sentinel, which is a black newspaper. Um, so, so during the 68 world series, when, the Cardinals and the Tigers are playing and Bob Gibson's mowing down the Tigers. There's like this funny cartoon from the Sentinel that kind of mocks this idea that now all of a sudden uh, the white Tiger fans are going to vote Wallace, right? Because, uh, you know, Nixon's uh, not Nixon Gibson's out there, you know, this black pitchers destroying them. But, you know, that was just kind of tongue in cheek, nothing like from an actual politician stepping up. And, and most politicians would have used, a black athlete to their advantage, right? Like, well, I'm going to yeah. go get so-and-so to speak on my behalf. So in 68, it was like, oh, well, you know, I don't really need to come out against Tommy Smith and, and John Carlos. Cause you know, I have Wilt Chamberlain, I have 
Jim Brown, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, supporting me. Or if you're Humphrey, you know, I have Jackie Robinson supporting me. I have, you know, even George Foreman, gold medalist, you know, supporting me. So I, right. I think politically, you just didn't see that. And and most afterwards, just kind of follow that that same line of I'm just going to use the black athlete and, and hopefully he supports me and then I'll, I'll get some cool points. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't I mean, you don't see any kind of historical example. I mean, even when Muhammad Ali, I mean, that's a good question. But did, like, let's I'm gonna ask. I'm not going to state affirmatively like, when Muhammad Ali um, refused to be inducted into the military. Do we see politicians using it in an election? Like, that's an interesting kind of is that like right. that? I would I, have to I look mean, locally. Right. That might be something right. local something texas or, or kentucky specific or maybe right. maybe reagan made some kind of glancing terms like stuff you know something took a shot at him i'd have to look because because he refuses induction in 67 um so it's an off presidential year but i'm pretty sure like somebody would have said something right just right just the point to you know these are the times that we live in but in a in a broader conversation about Vietnam, right? And, and, and you, well, that's the thing, right? Like all that stuff, even when we think about uh, the 68 Olympics or even Ali, they're already, they're surrounded by so many other issues that are happening, right? So that, that Ali and even Carlos and John Carlos and Tommy Smith are not even the biggest, uh, um, the biggest uh, event, you know what right. I'm saying? They're just right. they're, they're the biggest event in sports, but they're not the biggest event. I mean, we for you know, as I remind students all the time, like you know, uh, the '68 Olympics is still in the aftermath of King's assassination. That's still the event that's right. shaping and reshaping um, the way people are thinking about civil rights and activism and whatnot. And so, I think there's some uh, something to be said that you know what makes Kaepernick so unusual is his ability that his discussion of police brutality uh, and, and racial justice has catapulted him to the top of the political discussion when there's not a lot of other um, uh, national figures who are competing for airtime so that the president, President Trump, can talk about Kaepernick uh, and everyone kind of fully understands that there's nothing else for him to talk about it really at that moment besides Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I think that's just the most amazing thing about Cap, right? Like, like, look, nothing really got solved. Uh, but for the last, I would say, two years, we were able to have this kind of national, we, sh- we were able to start a national conversation on, on policing. The problem is nobody mm-hmm. wanted to listen, right? Um, right. So, so the conversation, instead of being about policing, just became about the anthem became about the military and very quickly things got lost in the discussion. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was pretty intentional. The other thing about Kat that, that trips me out as a, as a sports historian is that it seems like he got justice, now monetary justice, right? Money justice in real time, right? Whereas yes. like guys like Carlos and Smith like had to wait, you know, almost 50 years, right? Like they've, <laughs> exactly. they've started to make a, a, a comeback but, you know, b- before, you know, the, the 50th anniversary, but it's been like kind of slow and, and, you know, 50 years to wait is a long time. Um, Ali had to wait a long time. Now he got legal justice in, and I want to say 71, um, right. but still like when it comes to getting his name back, um, it took a while, but cap 
won his fight and he got something in return, right? He got right. Supposedly he got money. Um, right. And the other thing about Cap, one of the things we've been talking about, you know, amongst ourselves is, is like how does he compare to a figure like a Kurt Flood, who, who's famous for you know being the face of free agency, even though he lost that battle. Um, right. And that's what got me right away. It's like flood lost, uh, that mm-hmm. battle and he never got justice. He never got that, that compensation that he deserved. Yeah. I think that, I think that's an excellent, uh, you know, that's a, that's a great point the way we think about it. Cause even Ali never, you know, we always talk about the, those three years that he lost those three or four years that he lost while he was not able to fight. Um, as his prime years, right? So we lost some of like we we had all these great Ali fights before and after uh, his arrest, um, but at the same time we missed that prime Ali. What we also don't really talk about is how much money he lost, right? Oh, there's gosh, a, you know yeah. there's a in the documentary um, one of the reasons that um, historians have noted that Joe Frazier was so angry at Ali is that he loaned Ali money when he was broke, and then he they get up in the in the pre-fight and uh, the hype that he's talking. Um, down to Frazier and Frazier's like, I just loaned you money like a year and a half ago. Right. And now you're right. talking to me like I'm crazy. Like, and so there's something to be said that, uh, you know, Ali not only lost his, t- his peak opportunity, but he lost tremendous amounts of money uh, in his prime. Uh, and, and so we see that cap has not only, um, you know, he lost his, his ability to play, but if, if the reports are true, He's gained a tremendous amount of monetary compensation, perhaps more than he would have made over the rest of his career. Right. And I think that might be the major difference between Cap. Like if we're comparing him to these other figures who who took it, you know, who who risked it all, like essentially risked their career, he had the money, right? And mm-hmm. and I think with today's athletes, that's what you're starting to see. Money and being able to save your money gives you power. Right. Like Le'Veon Bell could yeah. lose a whole year understanding. Hopefully he saved his money, but understanding that he's going to get his later on. And John Carlos right. and Tommy Smith had nothing like Tommy Smith had nothing like just straight broke. And in fact, I mean, there's that tragic story about, you know, Jim Brown asking to get his money back. Right. So so Tommy Smith. Right. Drafted by the Rams in 67 and and Jim Brown has a sports agency and, and all of a sudden once. The uh, Mexico City thing goes down. He comes back and asks him for that money, right? And so Tommy's dead yeah. broke, but Cap, <laughs> Cap risked it all, and and the reason why he's able to do this is is because he's got something, right? And and so so it's not that he didn't risk it, but he risked it, understanding that he didn't necessarily need football. And I think sometimes the owners have a lot of power because they create this power dynamic where the players think they need football. Cap got to a powerful place where he didn't really need it. He wanted it, but he didn't really need it. And I think that gave him the ability to fight. And I think, and I think one of the things that he did that was super important is that to me, at least is that he demonstrated a kind of commitment to the cause. Cause I think that a lot of the easy, you know, when, when people who oppose caps uh, stance on police brutality, as well as his activism, uh, 
they pointed out that, you know, like he's just a, you know, he's an athlete. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a celebrity. He's not really committed to these issues per se. They don't really affect him. Right. Because he's a, you know, he's fly, he can fly private. He's got a, he could, you know, he could have a car service. Like none of these things are really um, perhaps not directly affecting him. But the thing that I really do appreciate is that this man gave away a million dollars of his own money. Uh, and that speaks to the your point about him having the money to fight for his own cause. But the fact that he just didn't use his own money, his own personal war chest uh, in legal fees, but also donated to the community, a, a whole host of community uh, and national organizations devoted to, to community improvement. And I just thought that that's just like that Know Your Rights campaign. Like when we write the story of CAP, um, that's going to be a whole chapter about the, his ability to fund organizations. And, you know, as historians, we know that that's the hardest part, right? You know, when we look at the civil rights organizations, um, you know, the reason that Martin Luther King was on the road 200, 250, 300 nights a year is because he had to raise money, not only leading these uh, civil rights at, uh, um, um, protests, but he was often out there raising money for for SNCC and raising money for a host of other organizations. Like that was a huge component of it. Uh, and so the fact that Cap put his own money where his mouth was uh, is is commendable uh, and something to be uh, that we should also acknowledge in addition to his protests. Right. And I thought that was always to me, not only because he raised the conversation and made us uncomfortable, but he was smart enough to know to to get out of the way. And what I mean by that is the same thing you're talking about. He realized like, look, he comes, he, you know, he had the money. He comes from a different place. But he also knew that those people living in their communities knew their communities. Right. And and who is he mm -hmm. to tell them what to do? So being able to fund community projects like that give them the money and get away i think that's the power and and hopefully that becomes the model um that others follow um and just as a shameless plug i added that in my uh epilogue of of, the, of my hit book we will win today actually i don't know if it's a hit but it, it is in the epilogue right <laughs> trying to connect these guys from the past and, and i and i hate to do this um but it's similar to what Jim Brown did. And I say, I hate to do this just because now we're at a point where, you know, 50 years later, we can call out Jim Brown for, for his, uh, his domestic abuse and, and, you know, his, and the rape allegations. Um, but at the same time, just to, just to know as an activist, he believed in green power, but he also believed in kind of community organizations and, and, and really raising people in those communities to be leaders. Um, and then, you know, use that money as seed money. Um, and I think Cap did it in, in a way without the controversy, like on the, you know, on the side, um, but just did it in mm -hmm. a way where you can empower these communities. And, and like you said, like just having that ability to, to get that money gives them power. And, and, um, you know, I'm guessing it comes with no strings attached too, right? So you could do your thing. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's, like I said, that's the power and who he was. And speaking about money, as, as we segue, when he signed, um, when it came out, he and Eric Reed signed, there are a lot of people looking at him as a sellout. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, um, did you oh see that? Gosh. Or <laughs> Yes. Yes. I saw that. That was absurd. Right. Right. And I, I think we do this sometimes like, like, you know, he had a case against the NFL, the most one of the most powerful businesses in in our country and he won right and, mm -hmm. and just because he took 
the money, like what what do you want him to do? <laughs> right? Like, like this is the out. He he beat them at their own game. Um, and it's time to get out. And there's one thing that caught my about the my eye about some of this critiques, and, and I want to get your take because I'm not sure if it's a critique or not. But Malcolm Jenkins has this tweet with the with the, the what is it the Tootsie Pop the Tootsie Roll yeah yeah um, about like collusion right where he's like how many how many you know owners does it take to collude like is it one two or three I guess we'll never know and I didn't know how to take that like do you take that as um is he throwing shade or is he just I don't know I mean yeah that's a good question I mean I think it seems like he's I mean, I think it could go one or two ways, right? One is that he's shading that Cap didn't fight, or or perhaps he's maybe shading Eric Reed because it seems like Eric Reed and him had the the more severe issue right. um, that that they did they took this money so that they didn't fight this to the kind of uh, to the conclusion. But another way is is that it also raises the question of you know really what does this collusion what does it look like? We don't have really good evidence. Um, because the confidentiality agreement that they signed, that we just won't know the depths right. of, you know, uh, and I think that's also problematic, you know, in this tweet, just like thinking through it a little bit, is that like some of these owners try to play both sides of the fence, right? Um, unless, you know, you say something like uh, Robert Kraft, it's like, you know, I'm going to support Meek Mill and prison reform. And at the same time, you know, you're a special guest of Donald Trump right. at the inauguration, right? Like, you know, which can't, you can't play both sides. And so what do we find out that like, it, you know, who get, who's implicated in this collusion, um, even if they don't actually win the case, some owners, many owners perhaps would be extremely embarrassed, not only the league, but particular owners would be embarrassed. And so I think there's a there's a little bit of shade. I think that's a, a you know, it's one of those tweets that could go both ways right. in some ways. Right. I think that's shade for being called a neocolonialist, which that's got to be the first time in, in sport history that is, that's used. And maybe it gets used in the late 60s. I don't know. But but uh, certainly this is the first time I've ever heard anything like that. If you're not aware, a couple of months ago, Eric Reed called Malcolm Jenkins and the Players Coalition neo-colonialists uh, for essentially selling out uh, cap and that and that idea. So it might be it might be shade, but you know, and those are one of those things you got to follow up on. Um, if you, if you put that out there, um, at least I think so, just so you don't have any, you know. No controversy, just just put it out there. Um, so, but you know, we never know because he didn't follow it up, um, and I and I haven't seen anything else, and nobody really took the bait either. Um, and I think that's the other piece, right? Like, I think you know, because this tweet and this thing happens at the end of the NFL season, where literally all the NFL reporters are on vacation. Because if you think about it, like this is their time between now. And the combine is is the time that you actually go out and, and get a little breather right. uh, as they start ramping up for the draft and free agency. And, you know, the league year starts, I think, in March or something like that. Uh, and so they're really trying to figure out um, these spaces. So I think that would be an excellent follow up for any journalist that we actually have listening to this podcast who they should follow up right. with Malcolm Jenkins to see, get a, get clarity about what that tweet meant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I, the, the other thing I was saying, you brought up uh, real quick. You said journalists. It's the one thing that just just irritated me during this whole you know two year process is that 
most journalists like carried the NFL water, right? And and didn't really Oh my gosh. They yeah. didn't do their job, right? You know, they didn't use their power to 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 investigate these things, to dig in these things, right? Like you know, like you know, the the spotlight piece on Aaron Hernandez, okay, that's that's cool. It's it's interesting, but you know, like I would love something like that on the cap case, cap case in real time. Um, you know, and and you know mm-hmm. to put your resources behind it. And I know that you know some industries are 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 struggling, but there's there's some major newspapers out there with with you know billionaire owners who who could have uh, you know put some resources behind this, um, right? As if as they did put resources behind their own scandals, uh, trying to figure out stuff. So. I, I would have liked to say that. And I just know like one of the things I do when I do my research, I'm always looking at black newspapers and and I just know like not to say they don't exist anymore, but you know, back in the days you would have had some really strong opinion pieces, maybe nothing to the fact where you're doing some investigation, but you know, they, you know, some of these, these writers like a Lloyd Wells, who was with the Houston informer or Jim Hall, who's with mm-hmm. you know uh, Louisiana weekly, you know, for sure. Like, had they seen a wrong like this, they would have connected with their writers and also taken this protest like to the stadiums. Um, and I think that's one thing we well, lost. Well, yeah, I think in the other pieces that they, we would have got the local angle, right? So, you know, with the, you know, a, a more robust 1950s Pittsburgh courier that's at peak circulation would ask, tough questions to the Pittsburgh Steelers ownership group about Kaepernick, right? Like they asking, you know, like the local papers asking their local teams about why, what their stance is. And I didn't see enough of that. Um, and some of that's hard to see because, you know, we're just inundated with information. Right. Um, but not enough of that came across my um, across my desk. And, you know, this is also brings a question to, it also brings to bear this, this, a slightly different issue, but we're on this subject is Bob Costas being asked to resign uh, because he, he brought up the concussion case and not being able to do the Super Bowl. And I think that there's a lot of what that gives us. If we, if we extrapolate from that, if someone as veteran and as esteemed as Bob Costas can be forced out um, because of a position on uh, concussions, I suspect that other reporters of similar, uh, many of whom don't have that kind of weight could not would would face similar kinds of backlash for investigating kind of cap and owners response to cap in real time. So, you know, I think there was tremendous risk, as you said, in a declining industry that is suffering from tremendous amounts of layoffs and cutbacks and what. Right. Right. And last, last thing before we get out of here, uh, cause, uh, Hey, I got papers to grade. Uh, um, me too, brother. Oh me too. my goodness. I got so much grading to do. Um, do you think, do you think cap plays again? We know Eric Reed signed a, a, a pretty good contract three years, 22 million. I thought he was worth more, but, but do you think cap plays again or is this is it? I think this is it. I mean, I think I saw his lawyer say that he believes he's going to be signed in the year, but I think, you know, I think that this 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 lawsuit will actually close the door on him. Play. I mean, the door was already right. closed. I think that teams have moved on. Uh, I think the franchises that were willing to take chances won't take chances. I mean, the best fit for him um, was. Why, I mean, scheme wise was probably the Washington Redskins. Uh, and they, you know, there's no way he plays for Daniel Snyder. There's no way Daniel Snyder signs him. Um, and then the team that probably, if they were smart, 
should sign him just off jersey sales alone would be the Raiders. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The Raiders should actually sign him just because they need to move, you know, like that's actually who the Raiders that's who the Raiders used to right. be, right? Like that, you know, ironically, that was a team that if you were a cast off, if you had gotten in trouble, if you were sent us, you know, Al Davis and you could play, Al Davis would sign you. So it's it's really a shame to to watch um the Raiders miss this opportunity in the Bay when Cap was in the Bay. Right to thumb their nose at the league. And I do, I do think that, that you talk about how the ownership group has become far more corporate that Al Davis, uh, you know, who's, who's passed on, you know, I'm tempted to think that because he, he would have taken that chance just because he likes to mess with oh, the yeah, league. Yeah. 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 You know, sure. yeah. That's the most Al Davis. And the league probably wishes he'd have done it. Cause it had cost him like $80 million. Yeah. Less, yeah. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, man. And uh, until next time we're out. Yes.